And this morning, I want to share with you one of my, uh, one of my favorite things. Um, I often, uh, Holly and I were driving the other day, and we were kind of like talking about this sermon series and all this kind of stuff, and started thinking through, so what are some of my favorite things? I guess it's kind of sad when you have to help somebody help you identify what is your favorite. I mean, I think you should probably know that off the front end. Um, but came really quickly to the place where I realized that one of my favorite things is not so much um, a thing that I can tangibly hold in my hands. Uh, it's more of a place. A place that I can be. Um, and, uh, and that place that I can be is uh, with these uh, awesome people right here. Uh, this is my family. I think it's going to come up on the screen. It may or may not. If not, just squint really hard. Um, this is my family. There are, uh, there we go. Uh, there are uh, five of us, and my wife Holly is expecting our fourth now in January, um, which is surprising, you know. Okay. Uh, so uh, this is our family, and um, this isn't so much like, hey, I love being in this place at the mountains, while we do love to go to the mountains, um, or uh, we just got back from the beach, and it's not so much that I just love to be with the beach. One of my favorite things is to be in their presence, to be around them. And this isn't like the obligatory, I'm a young dad, I need to talk about my wife and my kids thing. This is legitimately one of my favorite things on the planet, is to be in their presence to see life through their eyes, to see the world through their eyes, to hear the world through their ears, to encourage the Jesus that I see in them, to be encouraged by them and the Jesus that they see in me. I love to be in their presence. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. As we talk about favorite passages this morning, um, it's interesting that I'm showing you that my family is one of my favorite things. As we look at favorite passages this morning, um, we are moving to Philippians chapter 4, like Michael mentioned. And this passage, um, it's one of those passages that we love, um, and we love it because of the assurance that it gives us. And I think that there is this theme that kind of runs through all the favorite passages that we're looking at over the course of the summer. We want to know this idea and be reminded by these passages that God is with us and that he has a great, great plan for us. And this passage, it does both of those things. Philippians chapter 4. Now, your favorite verses, the ones that you guys submitted, are Philippians 4, 6, and 7. But to see this passage in in proper view, we're going to back up a couple verses, and we're going to go Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. So if you have uh, your copy of Scripture with you, open up and read along, or it should be on the screen too. This is Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we read these verses, I read these verses, and you may be like me. They, um, on some level, at first gut reaction, they are more indicting than they are encouraging. I read them, and what I see are these things that Paul tells us to do. He says to rejoice, um, to, uh, to be reasonable, to not worry, to make our requests known to God. And these four statements that he makes, these four statements of instruction, he also follows them or um, surrounds them with kind of absolute words. So it's rejoice always, all the time. In everything, don't be anxious. To all people, let your reasonableness be known. Make your requests known to God. Like all of these statements that are all, every time, everything, everywhere, everyone, This is how we should act. And so I read these, and I think, 
This is not how I've responded. Instead of thinking about things that I, um, uh, ways that I've been joyful, I think about ways that I've not responded with joy. When I think about being um, reasonable or level-headed, I think about how I have not responded reasonably or I have not responded level-headed. When it says don't be anxious, and I think that when we get to six and seven, where these hit home the most, when it says don't be anxious or don't worry, I read these verses and I just start to go through this laundry list of things that I'm currently worrying about. I just start to think, not to be encouraged that I have the ability to trust in God who is with me and his presence with me, but I start to think about all these things that I'm, I'm not doing. To make my request known to God, I think about all the times that I start to be concerned about something or have anxiety over something, and instead of turning to God, the one who shaped the universe and shaped me and is with me, I think about the first phone that I picked up to call to talk to someone about it or to try and bring myself comfort through having a conversation instead of turning to God who is with me. I read these verses and it turns more into, oh, I am not this more than I could be this. Now, um, when Paul was writing these verses, he was writing to a people that knew what trouble looked like. When he says um, uh, to rejoice, when he says to be reasonable, when he says to not worry, to make your request known to God, he's writing to a church that knows the opposite of these things all too well. He's writing to a church that is under deep persecution. Nero is the Roman emperor at the time, and he was not a big fan of Christians and did some pretty crazy, horrible things to persecute him and to try and put down the faith. And, and Paul himself, when he's writing this letter, he's writing from prison. He's in chains, not in like house church, but he more than likely thinks that this is the end of the road for him, that he's not going to make it out. He knows what difficulty looks like, yet in the middle of this, he's writing to these people in difficult circumstances. He himself is in a difficult circumstance, and he's saying these instructions, rejoice, be reasonable, don't worry, make your requests known to God. And this morning, those same words that he's saying to people in difficult circumstances The truth of God is ringing loud and clear in our ears. Now, while Paul wrote specifically to a specific people, the way that he wrote it, it was this broad charge that has broad application. And so while we're sitting in here this morning and we walked in with all of these things that we're not joyful about and that we are worrying about, we're worrying about about caring for our parents, we're worrying about graduating from college, We're worried about, will one day I ever get married? We're worried about our jobs. We're worried about our children. Okay, I'm showing you my favorite. It's also the thing that I worry about the most is my family. We're bringing all these things into the door with us. And and the truth of God is speaking into that circumstance. He's saying to us this morning, rejoice, be reasonable. Don't worry, make your requests known to God. That's what Paul was saying to the church in Philippi, and that is what the truth of God is saying to us this morning. So let's walk through this passage together. Let's start in verse, in verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now you notice um, what Paul is saying here is, um, and, and just the way that he's written this letter. He uses the word rejoice or joy about 13 times over the course of this letter. Philippians is probably one of the most personal, toned letters that Paul has written to a church. And what he's saying here is to rejoice, to be glad, to have, um, to have confident gladness is the way that one translation could put it. And not just in anything and not just for no reason, 
or for just any other reason, but be in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I say it again, rejoice. There's emphasis that he's putting on this idea. He's coming to the close of a letter um, that he's written to this church, and his statements that he makes here at the end, he makes them kind of short and choppy, and he does that for more emphasis. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. After that, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So what Paul is saying here, rejoice, be reasonable. It's almost like the way that he is writing to the church in Philippi, these should be two hallmarks of people that follow after Jesus, characterized by joy that's found in Jesus, joy, rejoicing that's found in Jesus, and this level-headedness, this gentleness, your translation may even say. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, let it be known to everyone so that when people look at you, they see a joy that doesn't even make sense on your, certain, on your given circumstances. Your level-headedness, your calmness, your gentleness, it doesn't even make sense given your, your circumstances. But in the Lord, these things are possible. Rejoice, be reasonable. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, I think that this is probably the hardest of these that we look at. Because our hearts are prone away from trust and toward worry. They're turned away from things that, that we think that we can hold rock solidly in, which Jesus is the only one and they turn toward worry. Now, this is due to lack of control or wanting to be in control or feeling out of control or even like lack of trust that actually God is on our side and that he is for us and that he's walking in front of us. That worry says, no, I've got this. I can hold on to this. I in some way have an influence over what the outcome of this is going to look like. Now, I think that there's a spectrum of worriers in this room this morning. On one side, we have kind of the chronic worriers that worry about everything. Susan Forehand shanging her head down there at me. I don't know if she's identifying herself or just identifying some of you. I'm unsure. Chronic worriers who worry about everything. Maybe you even come from this like long line of worriers. You worry and your mom, she worried and your dad, he worried and just kind of like passed down generation, generation. And so it doesn't really matter. You're worrying about the weather. You're worrying about the weather next year. You're worried about, did you end your vacation correctly? Did you have enough fun? You're worrying about things that it just like doesn't even make sense to worry about. And then you have specific worriers that I think are given to given circumstances. And when, when you're worried, you're concerned about something, it's more than likely this cluster of little things that you kind of huddle around. You worry about provision. You worry about your kids. You worry about having kids. You worry about your job. You worry about getting a job. You worry about your these things that if you're going to be prone away from trusting in God and towards self-reliance, it's this kind of cluster of things that we're holding on to. But the great thing about this passage is that the truth that Paul is speaking, he's speaking to both of these areas. If you're the chronic, chronic man or chronic woman that can't seem to turn away from worry, or if you're the situational worrier, what Paul is saying is don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be ridden with cares about anything. 
I mean, let's take a deep breath there about anything. He says, don't be anxious about anything. That's like anything, right? He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't hold on to worry in regard to anything. And when you look statistically at what worry does, or even just I looked at a couple different studies about what worry does to us, what anxiety does to us, there are some practical benefits to what Paul is writing here. Worry affects us um, um, mentally. It can actually change the behavior of, of the way that we think. Instead of thinking rightly, it can automatically cause us to change what our pattern of thought looks like to automatically be prone to worry. Physically, worry deteriorates our bodies, causes us to age more quickly, does crazy things to our hearts. Worry affects us. Even one of the studies that I was reading, um, it gave kind of like the top five recommended, uh, recommended ways to reduce worry in our lives. And it's crazy what three out of those five things were, were all things that I think are misguided responses that are kind of missing the mark and kind of work their way around what Paul is saying here. Uh, yoga, tai, if you do these things, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying what they are. Yoga, Tai Chi, and meditation. So to empty yourself of worry, empty yourself of any thought. And that's not exactly what Paul is saying here. He's not saying take all the things that you're concerned about or all the things that give you anxiety and just kind of toss them out the window and act like they're not happening. That's what meditation or yoga, that's what those things say. They're the emptying of self. So how can we do this? How can we take what Paul is saying when he says don't worry about anything how do we do this? Then what is kind of the question. And he answers it. He says, don't worry about, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's not saying, he's not saying, take all these things that you're worried about, act like they're not happening and toss them out the window. He's not saying turn away from them. What he's saying is actually engage them. Take these things that you're worrying about that give you anxiety and literally hand them over to God. Take the cluster, take the chronic worrying, and to God say, here they are. Paul says, make your requests known to God by supplication. Supplication is this idea of asking and seeking, kind of uh, earnestly entreating God. God, I am concerned about this. I am I'm having a hard time trusting in this. And give these things over to God. Paul says, with thanksgiving, with this expectant idea that God hears his children, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he, hold on to this, he knows what is best for us. And we hand them over to him. This isn't kind of just blindly turning your head and acting like something isn't happening. Paul is saying, engage those things that you have anxiety and worry about, and then hand them over to the only one who can actually do something about them. Now, what Paul says is he doesn't guarantee that a change of circumstance is going to happen. He doesn't say, whatever you're worrying about, take it, bundle it up, hand it over to God, and he's going to fix those things like this magic genie in a bottle. When you rub and you need your problem fixed, he's going to come out and just automatically make that business happen. That's not what he's saying. He says, make your request um, known to God with supplication 
and thanksgiving, and then he tells us what the end result is. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's like Paul is saying, don't do this. Don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Do this. Make your requests known to God. And then this, the peace of God, the peace of God is what the end result is going to be. Don't do result. Now, I'm a like action, I've told you this before, confessed it before, I'm an action kind of like list-oriented person. And so the first thing that happens in my head is, well, if I want the end result to not be worry, the opposite of worry is peace. And if I tell those things to God, he's going to give me this in peace. In some ways, I'm kind of turning God into that magic genie in the first place. I'm saying, I don't want this, I do want this, I'm going to act in this way, and you're going to give me the end result. Are you tracking with me on this? Yes? Anybody? One person. Thank you, Blake. Um, you're seeing the progression that is happening here. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't worry, make your request known, and then the peace of God is going to be with you. Not your problems are going to be solved, not that the situation is going to be wiped away, not that your financial means are going to be met, not that the illness is going to be healed, but that the peace of God will be with you. The way that Paul describes the peace of God, he says it's beyond all human understanding. It's better than anything that the imagination can dream or that mental wisdom could plan out. It passes all human understanding. The peace of God Paul says that that peace is going to guard our hearts, our emotions, the way we feel, and our minds mentally, the way that we think, in Christ Jesus. The way that that word guard is used, it's like this garrison of soldiers that are standing guard in front of us and won't allow for any sort of invasion that would cause us to push away from trust in God through Christ Jesus and towards self-reliance in our worry. He's standing guard in Christ, pushing us toward trust, pushing us away from self-reliance and worry. The peace of God, which is greater than anything we could imagine, it's going to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What, what this peace looks like, one commentary I read said that whenever we make our request known to God, and the peace of God is granted to us, it's like immediate access to his presence. Like he is right here with us. God, I can't handle this situation. God, I don't know what to do with this situation. God, I keep thinking about this thing. It's consuming my thoughts and I can't get past it. I need you here with me. I need your presence. I need your peace. I know that there are a few of us in this room this morning that need that presence and need that peace. Um, we were in the mountains a couple weeks ago. That's what that picture was from. And we were, um, we were in kind of like the Gatlinburg, Smoky Mountain National Park area. And we're driving out. And we stopped by this place that um, we've gotten out before. It's kind of a walking trail and it's next to a, a stream. 
And we're down there, and the kids are playing, and they're just kind of all over the place, and it's neat, kind of, we go there pretty regularly, um, how we see the kids kind of adventure some nature, it just kind of grows every time we go there. So they get a little bit further out, and they go a little bit further on the rocks, and a little bit deeper in the water, and um, so they're getting ready to walk down there, and I jokingly say, be careful, there's snakes down there, and um, I didn't know that, but it just sounded like a thing that was possible. It wasn't a lie. And so they're walking down there. <laughs> they're, they're walking down there toward the water, and I say that, and they all kind of stop, and one of our kids turns around uh, to me and says, and says, Daddy, come with me. Presence changed everything in that scenario. Now, this is small. Follow this small illustration here with me, this, this childlike faith, asking for the presence of her father to diminish her worry, to diminish her fear. And it's the same thing that Paul is saying we have access to as people that are following Christ. Whatever that worry is, whatever that anxiety is, it's not God's desire to dismiss it from you. It's, to, it's his desire to be with you in it. And that, that his presence, his peace that he gives they can't, his, his peace and presence can't coexist with our fear and anxiety at the same time. He wants to be with us in it. Um, we, uh, we do hospital rotations here at the church. We go and visit people, um, uh, church members that are in the hospital or people that are connected to the church that are in the hospital. And, um, and we, each, uh, each of us on the pastoral staff, we kind of rotate around. And I love getting to go and do this, especially um, just to see kind of the concern and care that our church family has already given to people that are in the hospital. It's pretty awesome watching the church be the church. But also there are some times when I go into hospital visitation um, with the idea that I'm the pastor, I'm going to shepherd, I'm going to care, and I walk out of that hospital room feeling like I've been shepherded, you with me? I've been shepherded, I've been cared for, and I've been encouraged with the gospel in more ways than I could have encouraged in the first place. And oftentimes it comes when, um, when I go to see a child that's been in the hospital, and we've had a couple that have, in the past six months, that have been in, and have not just been in for a short stint, but have been in for weeks and weeks. And you go in with this idea of these parents must be exhausted. Um, the child is, is, is most often kind of medicated to take care of the pain and things like that. But the parent just must be totally exhausted. And you walk in and oftentimes there is this response of, of, of just this confidence that God is there with them. There's two specific instances over the past six months where I walked in there and I'm literally standing in awe as these parents are talking back to me about the faithfulness of God and the peace of God. And I, I know this. I know that God is with us. I know that he is for us. I know that he's with us in the middle of difficult circumstances. But whenever situations like this come and your kid is in the hospital for some of these people for months, it doesn't make sense to me. My automatic response would be prone to worry, prone to anxiety, prone to how can I fix this? Doctors, get your game together and get my kid out of here. All of these sorts of responses. But their response can be marked by nothing else than the peace of God with them, which is past all human understanding. All right, so what do we do with this? Paul says, rejoice, be marked by reasonableness, make your request known to God, 
Don't, don't be anxious. How can we do this? How? I think that back in verse 5 is where that lands. Before we get to verse 6, he says, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. The Messiah has come. The one who has come to liberate us from our sin and our captivity to separation from God, which is what our sin does to us, keeps us at distance from God. The Savior has come, and he lived in perfection for us. He did not worry. He trusted his Father completely. He took our sin upon himself, those things that separate us from God. He took our sin on himself. He died a death in our place like we should have. He rose from the grave and ascended to be with our Father. And then when he ascended, he said, I'm going to leave my comforter, I'm going to leave my counselor with you. The Spirit of God to live inside the heart of every person that puts their faith and their hope in the restoring, reparative work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul says, rejoice, you can rejoice because the Messiah has come, Jesus has come. You can be reasonable because we are reflecting Jesus and we're reflecting his image. He has come, he is at hand. You don't have to be anxious because the same Jesus who came to free us and liberate us from sin has come to free us and liberate us from worry by our full confidence and hope in him. In him. That when we make our request known to him, we have confidence in the fact that he is here, he is with us. He knows us. The peace he gives us, he's in the middle of it with us. He's guarding our hearts and our minds. So the last thing that we want to do is take a passage like this today and just start writing a list of all the things that we're worried about and just kind of like mindlessly moving them from one column to the next. The goal is not to just be free of worry. The goal is to lean deep into the presence of God while he is with us. And as we're leaning deep into the presence of God and we're making these requests known to him, that he makes this great exchange. He exchanges our worry for his peace, our anxiety for his peace, merely by his presence. So what do we do? You, you, you should just start telling yourself, don't worry. You should just start saying, all right, I've got this list of things that I need to stop worrying about. No, our goal is not to be self-actualized, worryless people. Our goal is to look like Jesus. And so this idea of processing and dealing with worry and anxiety is actually an issue of discipleship. Am I going to trust the Father the way that Jesus perfectly, in our place, trusted the Father? Am I going to rely on the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made for me, for my eternity, what happens to me after this world is over? Am I going to trust in him perfectly, the way that Christ perfectly offered that sacrifice for me? Am I going to look more like Jesus in the process? So when people look at me, they see the peace of God which doesn't pass, which surpasses all human understanding. It's an issue of discipleship. So whenever I started talking about worry, or whenever you realize that that's where this passage, the direction that it was headed, there, was, there, were, there were a couple things that came to the forefront of your mind. Oh, he's talking about worry, and this is what I'm worrying about. So what do you do with those things? This isn't an automatic light switch type action. 
You don't sit here and, 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 and listen uh, to a sermon on this or read a passage like this, and you automatically walk out of here. Just your heart, which was bent in one direction toward worry, is automatically corrected and bent toward trusting in God to be with us and to offer his peace to us. Like everything else in our life, discipleship is this continual ongoing process where step by step, thought by thought, decision by decision, we're making our request made known to God and he exchanges that anxiety, that worry, he exchanges it for peace. It's a step-by-step process. Holly and I were, um, were getting ready to go to bed last night and started talking about the weeks, uh, the weeks that are coming and things that are ahead. And that quickly stirred up some worry in between us, okay? And not less than 12 hours later, I'm standing on this platform. You with me? talking about worry. And we said in that moment, while we were sitting there talking, like it's this continual process. We have to make this choice because the Spirit of God lives in the people of God and empowers the people of God to look like the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We have to make this constant choice to follow the moving of the Spirit, to trust in God, to trust in Him, choice by choice, decision by decision that he is for us, that he knows what our best is. And we know that in the way that he provides for us in Jesus. It's a step-by-step process, a step-by-step decision. So there's one or two things that are mulling around in the front of your mind. In just a second, I'm going to ask you, we're collectively going to do this, I'm going to ask you to do what Paul says here. I'm going to ask you to make your requests known to God and invite his peace to come and be with you. But you're going to do it in your seat, and you're going to say those things, and then you're going to walk out the door, and something is going to trigger in your mind that thing that you wanted to worry about, and your heart is just going to automatically remember what worrying about it felt like. And it's going to be tempted to tiptoe right back over in that direction. And again, we're going to make our requests known to God. We're going to invite his peace to come and live in our lives. We're going to choose trusting the God who is with us over trusting what we perceive as our inability to control or influence something by our mere mental thought consumption and worrying and anxiety. The goal is not to be worryless people. The goal is that the presence of God becomes one of our most favorite things and that in the presence of God, worry is absent. That as we grow deeper in relationship with him, as we trust him more and more decision by decision by decision by decision by decision, we trust him more. And that peace that is a part of trusting him, it becomes one of our favorite things. We live in that peace. I am... in just a second, we're going we're gonna to pray together. But the last thing that I want you to hear from me before you walk out of this room is not, uh, is not a condemning word that you're a bad person or that you don't love Jesus because you worry. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying is that worry is an opportunity for trust. Every time. Every time worry is an opportunity for trust to turn away from self-reliance 
and to turn toward God in Christ Jesus who has given us every good thing in himself. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. We are going to take a second and we are going to act on Scripture. We're going to do what Paul is saying here. Whatever those first few things were that came to the front of your mind, whatever it is you've been worrying about or you know you're prone to worry about, I want you to do what Paul says. I want you to make your requests known to God. We're just going to be quiet. It's going to be silent. It's just you and your Father. I want you to make that request known to him, those requests known to him. I want you to invite the peace of God through the person of Jesus Christ to come and replace that worry, replace that anxiety. Father, collectively for us this morning, I say that we need you. That we need your presence. That we need the peace that comes from you. And God, we need it not just so that we can have easy lives, so that we can live carefree. God, but we need your presence as we trust you so that we can look more like your son, Jesus. So that peace that you give us in the midst of really difficult decisions or circumstances, as you guard our hearts and our minds, you're pushing us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And that is what we desire. That people would look at us and they would not see people that are weathering difficulty well, but they would look at us and see a father who is carrying us every step of the way and is with us. God, we thank you for the hopeful comfort that comes through the truth of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf. And we thank you for the perspective that he gives us, that he is with us. We trust you this morning. We celebrate Jesus alone together. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.